Hello, everybody. Welcome to 321 No Kidding. Bobby the Awesome here. Today, I have a virgin podcast guest, which is pretty exciting. Uh, we met through a mutual friend, and Shelly's here today to share her story, which sounds very pow- powerful from the little I know, but dealing with an addict from a mother's lens. So, Shelly, welcome to 321. Thank you, Bobby. I'm really grateful to be here. And thank you to everyone out there listening. Um, I hope we can help each other. (laughs) Sounds good. So have you shared this story publicly before in any capacity? Um, Yes, I have. I wrote a book. (laughs) Um, It's called Hold On For Your Life. And I self-published. I also have spoken a couple of times, a few times at one of my, um, one of the drug treatment centers that my son attended. Um, and I want to speak more. I just, I work full time and I have two dogs and, you know, I, I try to keep up my life, but I, I do whenever, whenever we do what we're supposed to do, our calling, I feel like I need to do it more. I need to share more. It, it's healing for me and I know it helps people. So, well, congratulations on the book and thank you for spreading the word. So I, I guess let's dive right in. If, if, you want to start it at the place you feel is the beginning of the story. And um, I will do my best to not interrupt. But if you see me making eyes at you, it means I probably have a question or I want to go a little deeper. Okay. Okay. Um, so I have four children and I'm 54 years old right now. I have four children, boy, girl, boy, girl. And my third child is named Noah. And he started using drugs and alcohol, probably at like 15 or 16 years old, and he's 25 today. Um, and we are still on the path. <laughs> I, you know, you think you're getting, well, you always get better, but then it sometimes gets worse again. But anyways, Noah started uh, using pot, smoking pot when he was, I think about 15 years, like I said, he was going to a private tennis school at the time. Um, he's massively athletically gifted. He started playing tennis at 11 and without question could have had um, a scholarship to a college of of his choice, but he found drugs. (laughs) Um, So anyways, you know, if I, if I could go back and, you know, as we all do tell my younger self what I know today, I would just um, shake myself up, you know, smack myself upside the head and be like, you're going to listen, you're going to follow orders going forward because (laughs) you know, my son is a drug addict and I don't like to say that, but it's the truth, but I didn't know it back then. I'm like, well, kids smoke pot. Right. And it's just like, (laughs) I'm like, that's a lie. That's a massive, huge, big lie. (laughs) File for bankruptcy, flush years down the toilet. Bye. And so Noah, you know, we, he got kicked out of the the private tennis school. He, He, um, wanted to go to public school. So we had him go to public school and then he got kicked out of that, went to the, um, you know, went to, uh, I don't know, a school where you go to, I guess when you're, when you're bad for a month, but then you get to come back anyway, blah, blah, blah. You know, he, I don't even know how to cut to the chase for the, for the years. That's probably why I wrote a book, you know, today, his dad told me today, if Noah was to go to rehab, he's been to 17 17 to re, 17 different times to rehab. Some of the times it was the same one. Um, my son's had two open heart surgeries at the age of 19 um, that were like, I think a month and a half apart. He's broken both of his feet. He's lost an ear and had it put back on his face. I mean, 
Um, I recently, he's been in Fort Lauderdale until about March this year. And then I went to get him <laughs> because I got a, um, a text from his girlfriend at the time that some people were trying to murder him. So I just, um, you know, what I talk about today, it'd be different than what I talk about in a year, even I'm even the same things, but I was talking to another mom earlier today because one of my clients, um, her daughter, bless her heart, is in rehab for the first time and she just turned 15. And I, you know, I, you can't tell anybody what to do. You, do. you know, there's no right answer. I tell people, I'm like, there's not a path. <laughs> like every day you're just handed a machete and you just go through the woods and you get to carve your own path because there's really not one. Now we can learn from other people and we can, you know, learn from spirit, from God, from the universe, however you believe. We can, you know, educate ourselves, but at the end of the day, um, there's not a path and whatever we choose is the right path. And we might choose one thing one day and the next thing the next day. And that's just kind of how I've been living for probably the last nine years of my life. And it's not, but at the same time, even though it's been excruciating and difficult, it's also been full of amazing blessings. And you always have to look at the blessings. You always have to choose to hope um you know even even today i'm probably this evening gonna um tell my kid that he well i am going to kid, <laughs> you know that he's not allowed back in my home and uh sometimes you're like as a parent you know it's been about my son this entire time that they tell you you got to take care of yourself first right the the oxygen masks comes down in the plane and you got to put it on yourself before you put it on your kid. And that's true. But as a mother, we never do that. We're always, you know, we always like years growing up, I'm like, I'm not hungry. Take my kids to eat. You know, I'm not hungry. even like starving. You know, everybody else gets food, but you're trying to save money. So you don't feed yourself. And, uh, um, anyways, I guess I'm happy to go into depth of in any of those ways that I've talked about, Bobby, it's just trying to give a blanket for the last nine years is whew, that's what has been going on. <laughs> I have a ton of notes, Shelly. So if you don't mind, I'd like to pry a little. Um, I want to make sure I heard you right in the beginning and, and I'm sensing some emotion even talking. So um, it sounds like you're still going through quite a bit. So again, thank you for being here and being so vulnerable with us. In the beginning, you said something like, I wish I could tell my younger self. It, it, was I hearing you right that, that you felt somehow responsible for this? Um, I think, I don't know if everybody does, but I think as a parent, yes, you always feel, even though deep down you know it's not your fault, you still always feel like if I hadn't gotten divorced or if I'd paid more attention or if I like, you know, Noah was a middle kid, you know, and he was very smart and very bright and very, you know, talented athletically. So he just seemed fine, you know, but he was very anxious and I didn't know that, you know, I'm working, I would, you know, so I think, yes, it's, it's easy as a parent to feel like, Oh, if I had done, if I had done this or if I had known this, or if we'd, if he'd not gone to this school or if we'd gone this first, you know, yes, it's easy to do that. I know that's not right, but you still, I still do it. I'll always do it. You know, 
hard. I hope, I hope you find a way to reconcile that because like you said, he was anxious and you didn't know. How would you know what you don't know? And what about the other three kids? Like this is this is not a Shelly thing. Not that this is my place to tell you. Oh, you um, can say whatever you want. I appreciate but, it. But but really, um, for your own healing, I I just hope that you can give yourself some forgiveness and some compassion and some grace because just hearing you, I know that you're doing the best you can, and that's all you can do. You know so. Um, okay. Woo. Early already got me wound up. So tell me, tell me a little about how you discovered he was using at such a young age. And maybe if you can share some contrast too, to the other kids, those were two of the things that I wrote down. Sure. Of course. Um, well, the first, obviously the first time that we knew is, is, um, he was found, you know, smoking pot behind the shed at the tennis court, discovered. Um, and none of my, so first of all, my older two kids were very, um, you know, never, never had any drug or alcohol problems at all. Very good students. And, um, you know, went to college, not that you have to go to college to be a good student, but I mean, just, um, you know, we didn't have any concerns about that. And so then when that happened with Noah, um, you know, we started to do things differently, you know, but we, I guess we didn't, you know, at first we didn't, I don't want to say that we didn't think it was a big deal. We thought it was a big deal, but we didn't obviously know like what it would escalate to, you know? Um, and so then, you know, things just kept happening. Like if his dad was out of town, I mean, you know, there's like a huge party at, at his dad's house, but I mean, Again, in my book, it's like all his kids have parties, right? No, but it's just continuous. You know, the windows are broken to get in. And then the, he broke his foot because he was like leaving another party. And he, um, he, he's like, mom, you know, we jumped over this uh, like six foot fence and he landed on the, the spike of a, you know, the top of a tree spike. And he's like, I felt it go in my foot, but I just kept running, you know? So then, you know, we get him in a cast. This is when he's like 17 years old. And then he jumps in Barton Springs because he gets tired of his calf. Well, Barton Barton Springs is, um, it's like a, a natural spring fed lake here in Austin. And so I'm like, honey, you can't jump into, so then we had to, you know, go through all that again. And then he went through, I mean, it was just, things kept happening. Then he went to another, you know, he went to rehab that he was under 18. So at least, at least he had to stay there. (laughs) Like we thought, you know, if I look back now and I laugh because, you know, you think you have control of it. Like you have zero control ever, but it's ever, you know, um, that's why I was telling that, that mom this morning, I was like, man, when they're young, whatever you can, whatever you can do to keep them from going to the next level, because I feel like it just gets worse, you know, um, at least from our standpoint. And then, you know, we were going to, um, then he was going to outpatient here, you know, and he was, um, you know, doing the meetings and stuff like that. Well, then he wasn't able to stay clean for the meetings. So then the leader, you know, said that his dad and I should kick him out, you know, so we kick him out. Well, then he's basically living in a hot tub in an apartment complex, you know, and that's when he started selling drugs. And then once he started selling drugs, he was like, wow, I can make a lot of money doing this. Just like, um, 
I mean, just feeding your drug habit, right? And, um, but the amount of times that my kid has been saved, the amount of times that I think, well, there's gotta be a plan for him because just like, he's still alive and he's had some pretty ridiculous things happen in his life. So I guess we just, you know, it just keeps, it just keeps getting worse until you, until he puts the plug in, you know? And I think interesting, like what you asked me before, like, do I feel guilt of it? Of course I do. No, I know it's not my fault, but I still do. But, you know, and at the, uh, uh, the beginning, you were talking about spiritual awareness with yourself. And I think too, I do really strongly believe hundred percent that our journey here on this physical earth is all about that. And so I think, you know, and I'm not saying you have to believe in like a certain, a certain way. I think it's all connected. I'm not going to say like, you know, a certain religion or anything. It's just, it's, it's just should be love, the energy of love, whatever it is, but it is about us discovering ourselves here. Like our, it is super spiritual journey. So I have to ask to myself, what am I supposed to learn from this for myself? And it sounds selfish, but at the end of the day, I, it's why I'm on this quest for some reason with my son. And it's not even so much, it is about him, but his journey is about him. And somehow I have to figure out my journey about me within webbed within this. And I can't fix him, but somehow I have to pull away from that, still giving him love, but figure out what lesson I'm supposed to be learning in all this. Cause I really want to learn it so I can move on. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I couldn't agree with you more about the purpose and the lessons. And it's funny. I was, <laughs> I had a memory come up, you know, like on one of the socials and it was eight years ago. It was the first time I went and I hung out with this person um, like socially. And I remember that night and I should not have driven home under any circumstances, which then snowballed into all these ideas of all those times I should not have driven home. Um, and all the times, like when I was younger and I was a truck driver and I would take risks I shouldn't have to gamble, to drink, to meet people, to do whatever. And I'm like, what I walked away from that was, oh, it was because I have this purpose. Like I truly believe in my purpose now. Um, so there's sometimes these little hints that remind us. And as you're talking, not maybe being really clear on yours or when the pain stops, I learned the last two years, the freaking pain don't stop. Life doesn't stop. Um, I've had a harder last two years clean than I ever did using, right? Because I blocked it out or whatever. So the beginning of recovery was overcoming all that and still having work to do and then getting dealt all this shit and trying to stay clean through it. Like what the fuck, how many people can die? How much bad stuff can happen? You know? And, um, I, I fighting that fight, being in that place where you're at right now, um, I've been there many, many, many times and it, it does suck. But then as, as I'm listening to you, I'm so glad that you're here and you're sharing. So as I think about the fact that you write this book and you share your story, um, last year, my mother was in the hospital for a suicide attempt 
And part of the equation had to do, my brother has been an addict his whole life, um, in and out of jail, different periods of time, different levels of drug use, um, still I think has access to Suboxone or whatever all the things are, um, mentally ill, all the stuff. 44 years old, 45 years old, right? Like all the things. And mom feels a lot like what you're, what you're expressing right now. Um, except for she hasn't had the courage to draw the lines in the sand. So I think that's part of how we got to 44 still doing that. Like no stone, she's doing the best she can too. Right. But he's getting evicted and now he's moving into her house. Um, She's just always, that mom is always going to pick him up, right? But as I think about your book and I think about people like my mom, well, what if my mom picked up your book? What are these moms out there that might've picked up your book that didn't end up in the hospital like my mother? You're never going to know your true ripple and you're never going to know the true purpose. And not only those moms and those ripples, but you don't know how that's impacting the other children or the grandchildren, right? Like, cause we learn these are all in cycles. So I just want you to acknowledge yourself. And again, you didn't know what you didn't know that helped with um, the addiction growing and manifesting more, but you don't know what you don't know about what's happening in the world because of Shelly. You're so awesome. Well, thank you. So thank you. Oh, it's beautiful to think about. It sucks to be in the spot, but it is beautiful to think about. Um, and well, yeah, I can't, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I do sometimes remind myself, I try to, I, I mean, I am a very, very positive person. My therapist is like, Shelly, it's okay. You, It's great that you're positive, but you still have to you know, cause sometimes I'm just trying to like, it's okay. You know, I'm, I just always want to be positive. She's like, no, you have to, we have to dig and we have to work through some of this stuff. But what I was going to say is, um, regarding what you just said is sometimes I say, you know, I get to be here. I get to have this, this journey, like you said, because, um, because it's a gift, you know, it's really a gift to get to have have this to get to figure it out to get to feel mm. you know I mean I'm not don't have a, you know and a drug problem but it's like Noah uses because he doesn't want to feel because it's hard and it's painful but so we have to remember that to feel even to feel pain is you know because when we're dead we're not going to feel you know or maybe we'll I don't know but <laughs> um but that's a gift you know it's a gift to get to have that. And so I have to remember that, you know, I try to remind myself of that. So that's awesome perspective. Thank you for sharing that. So 17 rehabs, <laughs> like, and these injuries, these were all while he was under the influence, I presume. Yes. And I mean, I feel like I should write, uh, my mom always says when something happens, when Noah has something, she's like, well, at least you have more material for the book because <laughs> I've never had to like make anything up. I'm like, you know how they say, well, you can't make this shit up. My, my, uh, another mom and I, um, used to talk all the time and bless her heart. She lost her daughter, but, um, we don't talk anymore really. But, uh, but we used to say that you can't make this shit up. 
and I don't have to make anything up. It's all, it's better than, it's better than, not better, but it's, it's, you know, more crazy is I guess what I'm saying. I sat on the, I sat uh, on the airplane one time next to the leader of a rock band and I'm not going to say who it was. And uh, he was telling me about, you know, all of his crazy stories with, you know, when people were, you know, using and all messed up at fraternity parties. And I just looked at him and I was like, I kind of was wanted to be like, that's all you got. <laughs> like, like I can, I can like hands down without question beat you, you know? So, yeah, I feel like I have so much more material that's not even in my first book that unfortunately, honestly, you know, um, you know, yeah, Noah jumping down off a billboard. That's how he broke both of his feet. You know, I mean, he was in a horrific car accident just a year ago. Um, and yes, under the influence and uh, his car was inflamed and he climbed out through the roof. I can't, anybody that sees the, saw the vehicle was like, I cannot believe he's alive. One person was like, I don't even believe in God, but obviously somebody has a purpose for this person's life. He climbed out of the hood of the, um, the car and was walking down the side of the highway and went to, he's blood all over. He knew he was bleeding somewhere, but he didn't know where he was bleeding. And uh, so he went to call his girlfriend and he like put the phone up to his ear and then he realized that his ear was hanging off his face, like by a thread. So he... Yeah, dialed 911 and was on the phone with them until they showed up. But, um, you know, and, and they always say to an addiction, it's like, well, maybe this is his, maybe he's now hit his rock bottom. Like, I would have think, I would have thought, we all thought his rock bottom would be when he had, you know, two open heart surgeries in the hospital at 19. Like, it's pretty much, you know, that, that's pretty much <laughs> like, I don't think you can get much more of a rock bottom than that. And, uh, but, my son will say, mom, there's not, there's not any real rock bottom. You can always fall. You can always fall more. There's, it's just never ending. I mean, honestly, the real rock bottom is when you die, but then we know he's still, I'm like, honey, you probably need to figure it out in this lifetime. You don't have to come back in another lifetime and do this again, you know? Um, but again, not my place to you know, he's got to do his, it's his his work now. My work is to figure out how to do my work. <laughs> so you have those kind of conversations. We, yeah. Oh yeah. We do. And his dad is very involved too. And he's got a stepmom and we're all, I mean, we are a, I'm going to brag on my family for a minute. I love my family. I've been divorced for like 18 or 19 years and his dad is remarried and they've been, I think, married about 15 years. So when Noah was, uh, this was, I don't know, maybe five years ago or something, he was out of Betty Ford Hazleton and he was sober and we were able to all go up as a family and rented an Airbnb in Minnesota. And it was me, his dad, his stepmom, my dog, and all my children. And it was like 10 below. And we, I stayed in my bedroom just across, like in the same, the next door down from his dad and his stepmom. And we all had breakfast together. And um, I love our family. And my oldest son will say, mom, his friends will say, mom, um, or his friends will say, your family's so incredible. Like, how do your, your parents, they get along? I mean, my mother threw my 50th surprise birthday party at my ex-husband's house, you know? And I have to just give like 
so much credit to my ex-husband. I love him to death, even though I, he's remarried and I love her to death. And I just think um, I, I'm just really grateful for an amazing um, father for my children. Cannot imagine being a real single parent and having to deal with this on my own. I am not a real single parent. I've always had support. You know, I've, I've not been supported ever financially from him. I support myself. And I have since the day we got divorced. But as far as um, taking care of the kids and being there for the kids and supporting the children, and um, he's amazing. And then that was my choice to uh, take care of myself financially. I was like, you know what? I need to take care of myself. Um, so um, anyways. I agree with you. It should be that way. I wish more people would do it that way so that they can still have the family union. Just because people break up doesn't mean it has to be a war, in my opinion. Well, we'd always said, and his dad had said it too, he's like, you know, it's about the kids. It's not about us. We don't have to, and anything I'm saying negative about his dad, unless he's an abusive person or harming my children or something, I mean, that's a different situation altogether. But I'm only harming my children if I somehow try to be a father too. I'm not a father, I'm a mother, you know? So I think that um, I'm grateful for that. Yes, we've always been, we've always been good at that. So. So how old is Noah right now? He's 25. So in eight years, I'm trying to wrap my head around 17 rehabs. I think you started to say, when he was younger, he couldn't check out, but is it sounds like maybe he's not staying for the whole visit. Is that, I mean, yeah, when he was under, when under 18, they can't check out by themselves because they're still, you're still parent guardian. Um, but yeah, then once they get to be 18, obviously they can't keep them there. If they, uh, want to check out of rehab, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. They also can say they don't have to put your name on the release form. So I mean, there's been certain times when I'm on the release form, certain times when I'm not on the release form. Um, I mean, yeah, I've been on my hands and knees, begging, crying, sobbing, you know, in a Galveston Airbnb when I was, I was, my girlfriend was doing an Ironman race and I was there to support her. And my son, I kept getting these random phone numbers from a Canada number. Well, it turns out that it was the rehab that he was at, the, the night guard at the rehab that he was at, it was her Canadian phone trying to call me to tell me that my son was going to leave rehab. And so, I mean, that night was excruciating, you know, just sobbing and just snot coming out of my nose, like going onto the floor. Like I didn't even care. I don't, I just did not even care my, my state of how I was just pleading, begging with my son to stay, to stay in rehab. And then him promising me that he would and hanging up the phone and leaving. And that, happened to me so many times, like not that exact instance, but just, I think the hardest thing as a parent, um, or maybe anybody in addiction as the, the other person, the lover, the sister, the brother, the whoever you are, but as a parent, it's the only way I know, um, the, one of the hardest things is having that hope of expectation and then just having it gashed again and again and again. And then the, the person getting better, the person, you know, becoming sober, becoming clean, and then, you know, just going down the road again and just, you lose, it's very easy to lose hope <laughs> and not have any trust. It's, it's very 
difficult to trust, you know, because it just happens again and again. Has he had any periods of sobriety? Um, he was sober for about a year. Um, yes, he has. He had, I think his longest period is a year. He's had several months in the middle. He's been, he's lived in sober living. Um, so yes, he had, he has, uh, the hard thing too, is like, you've met, I don't know if you've meant to mention mental illness or obviously it ties hand in hand with that. I hate the term mental illness. I like to call it like the artistic personality or artistic brain or something just because it's, I don't know. We all, have, I have it. We all have, I mean, certain people have it to a degree and, um, but it's obviously anxiety or depression or um, all these are like tied into to addiction. So um, it's hard sometimes to know, you know, at what point, um, I don't know. I mean, that has to be treated as well. And so that just, it just, it gets so sticky with all of it in there, you know? Yeah. I, this is, this is part of what I get. The gifts I get to receive is knowledge from all the people I'm exposed to now through this podcast. Like it's insane what this podcast has really done for my life and what hopefully it'll do for the world when my dreams start coming true the way I want them to. Um, I never, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I don't claim to be any of those things, but I've had enough people, excellent experts tell me, you know, this is as basic as the food we put in our body, the amount of sleep we get, you know, like our basic things of taking care of ourselves are, are impacting our mental health and wellness. Um, I use the term mental wellness when I write stuff down in my goals, cause I don't like mental illness either, right, um, I love that. but I like the artistic, um, I, I, there's something to that. I, I like that a lot. So thank you because we do need to, um, put a spin on it. Is it okay with you? If I share a quick story of something, of I course. Learned? Yeah. okay. So before the C word, um, there was a gentleman who used to go to uh, a shelter of folks that were without without their own homes. And he was a fitness guy and he would do this workout once a week. And if people showed up for class, they got rewarded with like gift cards to the supermarkets and stuff so they could buy salads and good food instead of the junk. But he would, at the end of the workout, he would do a little lesson. And one night he asks us, he's like, if you could live without your brain or your teeth, what would you pick? And of course, everybody would pick without your teeth instead of without your brain. And he goes, well, why do we brush our teeth three times a day? But what are we doing for our brain? So it hasn't even been on the radar, you know? So I think that the C word has kind of brought it a lot of things to light so that we can get better. You know, it's kind of like, that's the pain in the darkness where a lot of people have their listening ears on because we need new solutions. The old stuff, just drugs aren't going to fix everything. Drugs are going to lead to drugs um, or other issues. But again, I'm not a doctor. This is just what the collective is really sharing um, and people are being brave enough to talk about this stuff. So you mentioned a therapist and you mentioned crying. Um, so if there's other parents out there that are listening or even other family members, 
What are some of the coping strategies? I mean, for you to go through this for eight years, um, family, family also sounded like another one. Do you have any ideas that you can share or things that worked for you that might help um, other people struggling? You, you said you're drawing a hard line tonight. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And I know I'm asking two questions at once. So let's start with if, if you could tell people how to um, help their mental wellness when dealing with an addict, what does that look like? Um, well, definitely you have to take care of yourself. Um, definitely. Uh, I am um, a very physical, act, physically active person myself. I'm a runner. I'm a triathlete. And I love to run. I love to be outside. I love to be in nature. Um, so I do that a lot. I ride, try to run or walk or do yoga or exercise um, every day. And then the other thing that I've been doing for forever, I've been journaling forever, but I'd say just the last two or three years, it's helped me immensely is I do my, call it my gratitude time in the morning and I manifest goodness. And I sounds like you probably do that. I'm sure you do, but I try to not have negative self-talk either. And I try to not say, um, whatever we speak, we're bringing into manifestation, right? So I try not to say things like this is killing me or, you know, I try to say, um, I envision what I want, you know? And so I have this, I have a little story. <laughs> One of the times when Noah was in jail and it was when he was in Betty Ford Hazleton and he up in Minnesota and he was supposed to go on trial in Houston. And of course he didn't have his driver's license because he'd lost it. So uh, his dad is such a great dad, flew up to Minnesota, rented a car and drove Noah down to Houston, picked me up on the way in Austin. And I was so scared because Noah's like, mom, this prosecutor hates me. She just, you know, she, Betty Ford Hazleton had written letters to um, the prosecutor asking for um, time because he'd been sober like eight months. He, his sober living had written letters. He had an employer at the time. Everybody wrote letters. And this prosecutor was like, absolutely not. You know, he has to be here. He's going to jail, blah, blah, blah. So his, his dad flies up, rents a car, drives him down, picks me up. We're at the courthouse in Houston. And um, Noah went into the courtroom with his attorney. And his dad and I were waiting outside. And I was so scared because here's my son that's like, eight or nine months sober. And I'm afraid if they put him in jail, he's going to, you know, regress and all these things. So I literally made myself, it was a time in my life and you'll probably feel emotion in, or hear emotion in my voice because it's, everything is still so emotional to me and the envelopes are still on up on my patio. But I made myself like look up into the sky or look out the window in this courthouse. And I made myself look into the sky, look into the blue sky and claim, um, a good future for him. I like made myself see him clean. I made myself see him with a job, like married, not that he has to get married, but just happy. You know, I made myself see him with a kid, see, see him with the future. And I made myself see those things. Anyways, he, his attorney and Noah came out of the courtroom that like in the next 30 minutes or whatever. And I swear that the attorney looked like he'd seen a ghost. His whole face was white. And he was just, completely dumbfounded. And he's like, you're never going to believe it. The case, there was a visiting prosecutor and a visiting judge, and they just dropped the case. Um, and 
you know, I almost feel like it was there for me. It was like my little sign. <laughs> Not that, you know, the universe did it for me because I claimed hope or I claimed faith, but it, it for me now going forward, it's good for, I always claim that. I remember that, that I'm going to see the blue. I'm going to look into the sky and I'm going to see the blue. I'm going to see the good. I'm going to see the happiness. And I guess I'm drawing out this question, but I'm, this is a massive soapbox of mine is, um, is that you create your own life and that whatever you speak, whatever you believe, whatever you talk about and whatever you think like with your brain, like you said, we have to, we have to brush our brain more than three all the time. Right. Whatever that is, is you are creating your life. And so I really, um, will sit in the morning and, and when I'm, when I'm, when I'm, uh, super down to like the other day, I was thinking about how maybe my son was being super entitled, like, you, you know, he didn't get this or he didn't get this or he didn't get this. And then I thought kind of took a step back and I was like, wow, maybe, maybe I'm entitled. Maybe I'm entitled to think that I have to have a son that doesn't have this issue. Wow. Wow. That's a hell of a reframe. Because mm-hmm. it's the truth. I was being selfish. I have to like, really, I mean, sure. I can still be like, this isn't, but at the same time, having said that, I still have to set my boundaries. It's not like I can like let him walk all over me and just whatever. But at the same time, it's like note to self, you know, whatever we're, whatever we're pointing fingers at, we have to be like reminded like, wow, I'm doing the same thing somehow, you know, otherwise this wouldn't be showing up in my life. Mm. So what's the universe telling you? <laughs> back, to, back to in the morning when I have my gratitude time and we, everybody knows it. Like when you're feeling down, like if you take a, a pen and, and your, you know, yellow legal pad, which is what I write and you, you write down what you're grateful for, but I really, I, you know, don't just write it. Like I'm happy for, you know, yeah, I have my house. Yeah. I have my mom. Yeah. I have my, you know, my job, my blah, 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 but really feel it. It's not just writing. It's not just saying it, but it's actually having the emotion for what you're grateful for. It's, it's getting to the depth of it because when you really feel what you're grateful for, that's what moves the universe. It's not just saying, you know, I'm grateful for this and that and the other thing, blah, 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 blah. You go to church, blah, blah. No, <laughs> you have to feel it. If you go to church, you better feel it. If you don't go to church and feel it in the outside, feel it in the running or in the, you know, gardening or the you know whatever your church is it doesn't have to be church it can be whatever moves you that's your church i think we would really get along in real life um <laughs> <laughs> i liked your soapbox <laughs> uh, it's really it's really true and and what i'm hearing you know you mentioned gratitude and the universe picking up on it with the emotion supposedly it has to do with these frequencies so it's, it's not just words and bullshit. It does have to come from the emotion so that you're in that frequency to attract it. Um, but I got to tell you, the self-awareness and what you just described about this entitled example, that stuff's hard to do. Like, it's hard to notice, never mind address, and then somehow turn it all the way around to gratitude. Um, I have to ask, Shelly, like for me, I'm very clear on my spiritual journey um, has been through recovery. Where did you adopt this? Has this been an always thing? Has it been, has it come out of Noah's stuff? Has it, where did it come from? I'm just very curious. 
Well, thank you for asking that. And I know we would get along in life too. Um, I say that I've always been a truth seeker. Like I have, I really, I mean, I'm Sagittarius. I don't know, born in December, but I just always want to know what the truth is. No, I grew up, I um, hope it's all right to say all of our stuff. I grew up born again Christian. You know, I grew up in the church and I don't go to church and I'm not like going to poo-poo church, you know, um, but I, I really, I had a lot of difficult things. I don't know. Yeah, I went through a divorce and a lot of people in the, you know, are not my friends anymore because I didn't do the right, the good thing, you know. You're a little frozen, so hopefully you'll come back. I'm going to stall for a minute because it's just a little frozen. We'll fix it. I'm going to press pause. So you were talking, what I caught and what the audience will have caught was you were born into born again. Um, mm -hmm. You were raised in the church in that, like when you, I, I really was uncomfortable with the way you said it, but it was you representing you um, that when you got divorced, like it wasn't, you weren't a good person or whatever. And I think you're talking about through the lens of other people, not your correct, own. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that we're all good. I'm not saying I'm not, and being a truth. I mean, say I'm a truth seeker. I just have always been obsessed with, um, with finding the truth. And I think I did have a real, you know, growing up. I mean, I read my Bible all the time. I was, but it wasn't like what I was talking about earlier. I was like, I really wanted to know God and I really wanted to know I wanted. And so I think there was a couple times in my life, well, it was in my thirties in my late thirties. I remember I was talking to my therapist and I, it was one of those epiphanies that hit me because I grew up believing like the, the Christianity was, you know, you can, was this, and then the world was this. So that Christianity was like bigger, like a big balloon. And the world was inside of that. And I was in my therapist office and I just, I just saw it reversed. I, and I just had, a, I just started crying because I felt like I'd been lied to my whole life. Now I know I wasn't lied to because I mean, as parents, my parents are awesome people and they taught me their truth and what they believe. And, and so, and, and, and I, there's so many aspects of Christianity that I love. I mean, I love the Bible. I love, you know, but I, I, I see it differently now. I read it differently. Now I read it through a different, a different perspective. And I understand it like the whole verse too, about, um, I love the parable of Jesus where he says, um, that the kingdom of his, of heaven is like, a, a field and there's a diamond, there's a jewel, not a diamond. There's a jewel buried in this field. And this man, this person, the kingdom of heaven is that. And when the man or when the person discovered this, this jewel, he went and sold everything that he had so that he could buy the field. And as a child, I believed that was like heaven in the sky and we're supposed to like, you know, whatever. And now I believe, I, I know that the kingdom of heaven and it says it in the Bible, Jesus says it is inside of us. It is, it is within and it is, you know, and the only, and, and that is like, we already have it. 
you know, and, and humans were going around searching for searching, searching, searching. And we really just have to, we already have it. I and mean, we have to inquire within, we have to, and I don't know, but it's, it's that, it's that, it's, it's also like my, one of my theater professors or one of my um, college professors said it this way too. And he was such a genius when he said it, he was like, you know, you could be like searching for truth. Like you're just like your whole life, you're like striving and getting this job and traveling to this country and working for this person and like putting all of your energy into finding this exact thing. You're like, oh, and then you're just exhausted yourself. And then one day you're just like sitting down and you just like bite into an apple and there's the answer. But you wouldn't have had the answer biting into the apple if you hadn't done the quest. And so I think that all of my, like my growing up and my, like, I'm grateful for my, you know, what my parents taught me now. At first I was a little resentful, but now I'm like, you know what? We all as parents, like I teach things to my kids. I'm sure that they're like, oh my gosh, mom, seriously right now, you know? <laughs> um, but it's just because I love them so much and I think it's my truth. So I want to tell them, but I'm trying to learn, you know, now as I'm learning more, like I'm now, like my youngest daughter, she's like, mom, I don't, you know, I don't even know if I believe in God or whatever. I'm like, that's fine. You know, I mean, it's your journey. It's your quest. And, um, and I'm here, you know, I'm here for what you need, but, um, so yeah, I don't know if I answered your question or not, or, but. you know, we're getting close on time. So I think you did answer my question, but I also really <laughs> love the high note that you're, you know, you're ending it on. And I think, I think you're just this gorgeous soul that is so in alignment with what I'm coming to believe, uh, my experiences with religion when I was young, my mother gave us the freedom young because it wasn't her cup of tea. Now we can go explore. And, and I've shared the story on air before, but I got baptized at 10 and I've always been the kid. Remember those plastic nose mm-hmm. things? Yeah. So that was me. And I was really nervous about getting baptized and I'm watching him and he, it looks like he's covering everybody's nose, but I get in the water and I'm like, please, please cover my nose, blah, 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 blah. And he doesn't cover my nose. And I never stepped foot in church again for like years. And I'm like, well, if there's a God, God should have told him to hold my nose. Like, why? Why? And and my answer to that now is I needed to go from atheism to you know, the 11th step in the program to go on my quest and journey so that the people who were adamant about religion and at the other end. Well, if Bobby can convert from pure disillusionment to just having some sort of inner peace about it and having an open mind, um, then so be it. Like, I feel like that's part of my story so that I can relate to those people that have had an experience. Of course, nobody's had an experience like that, but for whatever reason, they're disconnected. Um, so, yeah. I so I really- oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. I feel like I thought you were waiting for you to say, I thought you were going to say that you had to learn to cover your own nose. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's a great, that's a, that's a great way to uh, make it kind of a tale in a different way. Mm -hmm. I don't think you, I was allowed or I would have. Right. No, I'm not suggesting. Yeah. 
now, because I feel like for us now, it's like we always want someone to take care of us, right? Until we realize that the only one that can take care of us is ourselves, you know? So, but especially a pastor, of course, a pastor should take care of you for Pete's sakes. Wow. That's a great, that's a great story. Hmm. So it really is about the quest. I loved how you put that. So any parting thoughts, Ms. Shelley? Oh, I just, first of all, thank you. Thank you so much. And I really do just like put my hands together in a prayer for all of your, um, all your listeners and all your people there today, who's ever out there that um, they would be blessed in this life. They would be blessed on their quest and that you would give them so much goodness and so much love and prosperity. Thank you so much love and prosperity. And thank you. Thank you, Shelly. Nobody has ever brought it home like that. Um, You are one of a kind and I appreciate you looking after the audience that way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.